Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All-NBA Podcast, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades, and I'm joined from his hotel room by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, how are you doing? How's life on the road? Life on the road's good, man. Treated me well. Treated me well. It's some good content last night. So, I, it's listen, yeah. I, I've got no complaints, man. Uh, I had a good night on TV with SVP talking about these games that we're about to talk talk about right now, and I'll scramble to get back here to be on with you because I wouldn't miss this one. I think we got some good stuff today to go over. No question, we have some good stuff. We got overtime games, we got uh, comebacks, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to really go into the Lakers and the Clippers. Very interesting game for both teams. I feel like I have takes. I want to. I want you to tell me if I have hot takes or if they're just correct takes about All both right. of those teams. We're also going to talk Pelicans, Pacers, and then starting lineups, or I should say closing lineups, are really important as you get to the playoffs. So I want to pick your brain about what are the best closing slash starting lineups in the entire NBA. We'll get into all that and more, but first, we are presented, as always, by DraftKings. Stay tuned because you'll hear more about DraftKings and all they have to offer throughout the show. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. I want to start with this, Legs. You do Van Pelt show. You were telling me right before we go live, you get a game with a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter, and you're working with the production team to say, okay, Here's my angle on it. Here's what we're going to do. Here are the clips. And then LeBron decides to go have his best fourth quarter comeback of all time. Just take me behind the scenes of what that's like when, when you're on ESPN and all of a sudden the, the narrative flips. Yeah, so this might be kind of fun for people to understand how this process works. So I walk into the room and when the games are tipping, the early games, usually there's a couple games on the target that you're going to focus on. And particularly on Wednesday nights, we always have a doubleheader on ESPN. So clearly, you know, we'd like to talk about those games because we just aired them. Doesn't always right. work out that way. Sometimes the games aren't very good and there's a better one that's not on our air that night. But going into last night, we certainly were thinking about Lakers Clippers and, and Pell's Pacers, like both games. So we get through this three, you know, three quarters of this Lakers Clippers game. And I am typically in a room watching a game with with SVP and Stanford Steve and and the producer, and then there's people back. This is in DC. There's people back in Bristol uh, that are working on the show that are going to be getting my information on what I want to talk about, and they're going to go make it look make it into a nice pretty film or give me a couple of plays in an iPad. And I'm going to go do a touch screen myself. And so their dream is because these poor kids, like sometimes that game comes down to the last minute. 
it's very tough to get that turned around if it's something at the end of the game that I want to go then have video on air because I might be at the very top of the show. You're talking about literally a, mi- a matter of minutes in that case. So when you get a situation like this, we're on right after the game, but it's a 21-point game. So yeah. you got a pretty good idea. Like, okay, well, even if the Lakers make a run here, they're not going to win the game. So I have a pretty good idea of my angle for both teams and where I want to go with it. And my angle was actually focusing on the Lakers' deficiencies. It wasn't going to be about the Clippers. It was going to be about issues with the Lakers. So I got this long list of plays. I send them. Then they send send them back to me, what it looks like on video. I edit it down. I got my two or three plays I like. I'm ready to go. And then the fourth quarter happens. And LeBron James (laughs) does what he does. And I know you know this poor kid in Bristol that's, that's working on this, has been working on it for the last two hours, feels where this is going and we both can and sure enough you just kind of throw that out the window and the entire talking point is going to change now based on the fourth quarter and look honestly and i saw already a comment i I kind of agree with that we've had here early which is this is a lot more about the clippers than lakers and i do agree with that and so the deficiencies the lakers have and their issues they weren't erased by what lebron james did okay we have to appreciate the greatness of what we saw but right. we also have to be realistic and honest about what that means for the Lakers and, and even the Clippers right. and allowing that to happen. So from that standpoint, it didn't change, but to be the video did kind of change and right. what you're talking about right off the bat had to change because of what you just watched, which is a 39 year old player put an entire team on his back for a whole quarter and go into an area of the floor. That's not even his wheelhouse and basically win the game for the Lakers. So that's where we had to start. But anyway, that kind of takes you inside, like how the process right. works. And sometimes, you know, it, the playoffs just happens a lot. You know, that second game ends. Right. I am the first person on the air with Scott right after the game ends. And if that comes down to a last second play, man, the turnaround, the, t- the tight turnaround on that to try to get that on film, it can be very taxing for, for the people working yeah. on the show and for myself. Last night was really a weird night because I never expected Adam. I'm sure you felt the same way. Ever think if I texted you at the end of the third quarter and said, What do you think? The Lakers gonna make this interesting? You would have said, Absolutely not. Like, what's interesting? (laughs) Fifteen? They're not getting within twelve, you know. Instead, they end up winning the game. And it was like this fascinating end to a night. So let's see. I'm curious to get your thoughts on what you watched. I think if you would have texted LeBron James at the end of the third quarter, he would have said the same thing. He would have been like, no, man, this thing's over. Let's let's head home. Um, I want to, before we get to the comeback, because as you mentioned, the comeback flips a lot of this. Let's pretend the comeback didn't happen for a second. And let's break down the first three quarters, because I do think <laughs> that's revealing as well. The, the comeback, it has its own story here. But I thought that the Lakers have been in a little bit of a funk. And I even think it's an emotional funk as much as it is just a rhythm funk and that they haven't seemed hyper-motivated. This was a marquee game. And for most of this game, their offense felt stuck in the mud. I thought the Clippers did a great job of mixing up their coverages, especially of switching, uh, you know, switching out on the perimeter. Tice was doing a great job of, of showing at the level of the screen and getting back to Anthony Davis. And the Lakers just had like lackluster energy. It felt like it zapped the rhythm of their offense out to where they were just getting late shot clock. They were getting ugly looks and there was no life to them. So my big takeaway for through three quarters was that the Clippers seemed to have completely controlled what the Lakers were doing offensively and had them stuck in the mud. Did you, is, is that kind of, as you were cutting clips, is that the angle you were taking? 
Well, definitely what I was watching from the Lakers was certainly what you just alluded to. I, they didn't have the energy. I thought some of their turnovers they had were unbelievably just careless and just kind of just giving it up without really, you know, surveying anything and throwing the ball where you expected somebody to go and not really reading the defense, the Clippers' activity, you know, forced 17 turnovers. Ironically, though, the Clippers didn't really cash in on those turnovers to the extent that you would think. If you, if you force 17 turnovers, you should get more than 15 points. Instead, the Clippers turned it over 14 times and gave up 30. Mm. It's, a, it's an incredible number, really. And Teron Lue even alluded to that after the game. Um, and then some of that was in the fourth quarter. It really cost them. But the Lakers, for the most part, couldn't agree more. It looked like the Lakers, when they are having one of those nights, when they define mediocrity. And that's <laughs> yeah. what they were because they don't do anything exceptional. They don't do anything exceptional. They have two exceptional players that can be exceptional at any time. They don't do anything collectively as a team exceptional on either end of the floor. Nothing. They're a middle-of-the-pack offense. They're a middle-of-the-pack defense. That's who they are. And then they have these two players that, on given nights, can overcome that because of their own individual talent and size and force and you know shot-making and, and whatever it requires on a given night. And they didn't have it last night. And I think LeBron James at the start of the fourth quarter, Adam, he threw up a couple of flares. Like, like you're literally out in the boat in the middle of the ocean and you just yep. shoot a couple of flares off to see if anybody responds to it. Yep. That's what a couple of those threes were. And next thing you know, okay, it's 21. It's 18. It's 15. It's, the next trip it was 12. And then the next trip it was 9. And just like that, you now have a sense that we might be able to at least get this down to where it's going to matter here in the last couple of minutes. I still don't know if they thought they were going to win the game at that point. But that's really all LeBron did. And guess what? If he misses two or three of those, that thing goes to 25. He's coming out of the game. That's right. like where we were. That's yeah. the tightrope they were walking at that point yeah. in the game. And he had nothing to lose. So he came down, threw up a couple of threes off the dribble, got him to go. Things got yeah. a little bit interesting. And here we 100%. go. But for the first 36 minutes, couldn't agree more. It was a sluggish, lethargic team. And it was the Lakers, when they are bad, kind of defines what they look like and that's what they were for three quarters and then lebron james just overcame all of that himself i so lebron to me he reminds me of peyton manning in this way i think he gets the most energy from the game when it is a puzzle that he is solving meaning he likes to figure it out and like okay now i'm in a rhythm and i've got it and here's what i'm doing and his, his energy rises through three quarters of that game, it was like a puzzle he couldn't solve. I don't think it's because he doesn't know how to solve it, but because he just, given the personnel they had and the way the defense was executing, it was like, we're not going to get good shots out of it. And it was almost low energy. I agree with you. The fourth quarter came, and I don't think he necessarily cracked the code early on. The first four minutes was just, let's get some threes up and see what happens. And they all fell. And he got right back into it. D'Angelo Russell hit an incredible three. And a 21-point lead went to nine in, I don't know, three minutes. It was really quick. From that moment on, though, I thought LeBron was brilliant, not just in his shot. Like the shot making is what stands out. That's where all the points came from. But after that, it was almost like he dialed in. His energy went up because it was solving exactly how they were defending uh, the pick and rolls and where to get the ball and how to bend the defense. The Clippers started sending two on ball. They would switch and then double. And he was doing a great job. He had a phenomenal uh, kick pass to our skip pass to D'Angelo Russell in the corner where he perfectly drew the defense out and got it where it needed to go. And that, to me, that's why I compare him to Peyton Manning. It's it's almost like when he gets in that flow state, 
then he looks unbelievable. And he didn't have it for three quarters, but he had it in the fourth. Well, I first of all, I completely disagreed with the way the Clippers guarded him. Look, I understand if you want to dare him to make a couple in the beginning, playing him straight up, giving him a cushion, and he right. was pulling up from 27, 28 feet. I get that. You get you have a big lead. Why why jam up on him? That's not really his strength. Although I think it's only second year in his career, he's shot, shooting over forty percent from the three. Um, and he and he's you know he's not taking as many as he has in the past. He's a little bit more selective, but he's shooting a good percentage from out there. That's fine. You want to dare him to make one or two. At the next thing they decide to go to, after I think he hit his third with no no double team, no traffic, no blitz, they start running guys at him when he's standing at like basically the top of the key with the whole floor at his disposal. And it didn't look like, honestly, Adam, it was anything that's practiced or it wasn't out of a timeout. Here's where we're going to come from and now identify where they're lining up the rest of the players, so you understand your rotations. They looked completely confused, like they did it on the fly. Hey, let's hey, go get him. Go get him. Run at him. Yeah. Running at, you're running at literally the guy that might have the highest IQ, one of certainly in the league. He's 6'8". He's got great strength, so he can get the ball any point on the court from that area to floor in a, in a half a second. And it's going to yeah. be on a rope, and it's going to be delivered to a shooter that's going to be imperfectly in the cradle. They just catch it and shoot it. He hit Hachimura yeah. for one. He hit D'Angelo yep. Russell for one, right? I don't agree with that strategy. If he hits a couple and you want to now change it up and not give him that shot, you jam up on him to make sure he's not shooting a three mm -hmm. and force him off the dribble where now you can get someone to at least stunt and recover back out. And he's not going to be as effective making that pass particularly going left off the dribble if someone jumps into his driving lane. That's a much more difficult pass to make on the move. And he wasn't even getting any calls. He had he shot one free throw in the game, so it's not like you're worried about fouling him because he's getting every whistle. Jam up, make him put it down, and then help and recover. Stunt and recover is the way I would have gone about it next instead of what they did, which was just indiscriminately run another defender at this guy with that kind of vision and strength and passing ability at the top of the key. And then yeah. you get two more easy looks for his role players out of that. So I just thought the Clippers looked disorganized on both ends of the floor. They weren't running anything constructive while the yeah. Lakers are making this run. So it's like a perfect storm of how to lose a game and how to blow a point lead. That's exactly what the Clippers' fourth quarter looked like. I think the Clippers also really miss Zubats in this game. You know, Mason Plumley was a disaster in the first four minutes, an absolute disaster. For one, he gets fouled and doesn't make his free throws. He had some turnovers. And then defensively, I thought that they were able to exploit, you know, him on that end. And then when you bring back Tice, who was very good for most of this game, when you bring him back, the Lakers did a great job of, okay, they're going to switch these, forcing the switch to get Tice out onto LeBron. And then Anthony Davis now has, you know, Mann or Kawhi Leonard or somebody that's way too undersized down at the rim. And he grabbed several offensive rebounds, second chance points that gave them opportunity. But watching that, you know, I always think about the Clippers and are they built for the big teams in the in the NBA? Last night, I thought that was at least one piece of the puzzle is that they looked too small in the fourth quarter in the key stretch. And so that stood out to me as well. I uh, know. I agree with that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. Like those situations, Adam, when a team has stolen the momentum and they're going on a run like that and erasing a lead, it really is incredible how it sometimes only takes a timely field goal by, by the team yep. that has the lead. 
100%. to stop all that momentum. And I thought Norman Powell hit that shot. With seven minutes to go, they had cut it to five. LeBron just drove in, finished with a left-handed layup. They come down the other end, and Norman Powell hit a corner three. And LeBron's like body language was like, oh, man. like It's almost like he felt it. Like, wow, right. you know, we at this point, we really needed to string together a couple more stops to make this really interesting. Now it goes back up to eight. It kind of felt like that was the one, but it wasn't the one because the Clippers just continued to struggle every trip up the floor after that. And, in fact, uh, the Lakers go on right after that. LeBron hits another three. Kawhi hit a little shot. You thought that's going to maybe do it. Then LeBron nope. answered that. And then it's just a series of bad possessions by the Clippers until LeBron makes another step back three. Um, so the, the management was horrible. I look, I'll give the Lakers credit for this and LeBron particularly. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be asking this out of a 39-year-old. Like, <laughs> like you're the guy that's gonna go do this right now. You're gonna be the guy that go, you know, you yeah. think LeBron James wants to be doing that, but once he hit a couple, he definitely, you know, had that sense. And the fact that they stayed hungry enough to want to dig out of this and win the game. That's a good sign for the Lakers. Look, it doesn't erase, like I said, their issues. They're a really poor shooting team. They don't get enough firepower from the three-point line most nights. They don't uh, – I don't think they're a, 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 an elite defensive team. They pick and choose when they want to do that. They've got issues. I don't see them making it out of the first round. But last night, look, they smelled something, and it was a weakness right. on the – of the Clippers that the Lakers took advantage of and they stole a win. They stole a game flat out that they shouldn't have gotten. And I think it raises questions about the Clippers. Look, Paul George wasn't there. Get it. I don't care. We can say that. Every, I feel yeah. like every team every night, somebody's right. missing. Because yeah, I, I have to preface every sentence like that. Well, it right. is what it is. He didn't play. The Clippers had more than enough to win and they had a 21-point lead. So it right. does speak volumes about like what happened to them and how you view them. Is it just a one-off crazy night? Or is there really something there? Like you just alluded to with the smaller lineup, and I'm talking about game management. Is that yeah. a problem for them that maybe makes you think, hey, maybe they're not really in that category of teams that could potentially win this thing? So I went on, because I want to talk now about the Clippers, because this game to me was actually pretty revealing about one of my concerns for the Clippers. And I went on with Zach Lowe yesterday on his show, and we were talking about threats to Denver. And I said, one of the reasons the Clippers... One of, what an interesting thing about the Clippers matchup with Denver is that I think James Harden is the guy that can beat the Nuggets more so than Kawhi Leonard, as great as Kawhi Leonard is, because Aaron Gordon's a good defender for him. And, you know, Denver can win the mid-range ISO battle because of they have Jokic. But James Harden, the spread pick and roll, that's where Denver struggles. Last night was sort of the, uh, the opposite. Last night you saw that James Harden has the ball in his hands for large stretches of the fourth quarter because he's the point guard. The ball's playing through him. And they almost had this thing where he was – I thought it was a disaster class from him in the fourth quarter, a classic like Harden is the lead's going yeah. and he's the last guy you want the ball in his hands, and he was terrible. Kawhi was able to steady the ship a little bit, but I kept thinking this team has an identity crisis because of how yeah. good Harden is, but because Kawhi is clearly better and more important. And last night they went to Kawhi late. It was too late. They were actually down by the time they started going to Kawhi, and he delivered some really tough buckets. But that's one of the things that stood out to me about that game is it's it's nice when you have a clear hierarchy, not just in who's your best player, but who is the ball going through and how do we play off of those guys. The team plays off of Harden way more than they play off of Kawhi by virtue of their skill set and position. And last night, that was a, a, a hindrance to them, I thought. 
That's such a smart point because I was I've thought the same thing, and you know how I feel about Harden, and yeah. he's played he's played very well here. There's no doubt, but it also does disrupt the pecking order, and Kawhi Leonard historically is at his best when he is the main guy, like initiating right off the bat, either yeah. bringing or catching first pass. And that's where everything begins. You come up, you deliver it to the wing. You, you throw it into that mid-range ISO where he's got his back to the basket a little bit and he'll turn it square up and then go from there. He'll run a high ball screen and get a switch and then you know he'll do the pitter-pat back and forth and then either pull up or he'll go by somebody. But when Harden is on the floor, he's the guy that's pretty much initiating every single action. He's coming up the floor and he's got it first every single time. So I do think there's something to your point because here's the thing. You can count on James Harden for most of the game right now, the way he's playing. You can't count on James Harden to deliver for you in the fourth quarter when you have to have it. And if that's how they're going to play, you wonder how that's going to affect Kawhi late game if he is not in command to the extent that he normally is up to that point. So I agree with you. I think, and look, we're not even – factoring in Paul George to the mix, right. who's another guy that loves to catch it and and, and operate with a live dribble. He's not going to just be content to spot up or come off pin downs. He wants the right. ball to operate and snake dribble off the ball screen and all the yep. stuff that he likes to do. So that's not even taking him into account, just Kawhi and Harden. Now, look, they've won games. I'm on record as saying I think they've got enough on paper to win the whole thing. I right. do think they've got some things that they're going to have to figure out And if they don't, it could bite them in a big moment against a higher-seeded team. So do you feel – I mean, we both think that this game was sort of – I mean, look, the Clippers are better than this. They were missing Zubats, and I really do think that he makes a big difference in the way they can – their rotations. So I'm not going to try to go overboard on the Clippers here. We just talked about the weakness they have, and it was exposed last night. But, you know, that's their challenge now is to overcome that and to get better at at that weakness. With the Lakers – they have been in this malaise, and I know they've won some games. I mean, they beat Detroit. They beat Utah. They beat San Antonio. Like, they have some, you know, some some unimpressive wins under their belt, but they've been in a bit of a malaise. Is this a game that you think brings them out of that malaise? Did they need a little shot in the arm? Because I've kind of felt like after the trade deadline, the Lakers have looked like a team that was like, yeah, we're not good enough. But maybe this game is – Anthony Davis alluded to it after the game. Hey, maybe this is the thing we needed to get going. Do you see that at all? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm just going to be fun, honest. It's a fun little look, Wednesday game. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, listen, it's definitely worth bringing up, and a lot of people yeah. would think that. I think there are certain categories of teams that that would mean something to. A young yeah. team that's good, and they, for whatever reason, are struggling at the moment, have something like that happen to them, it can kickstart them. Or a team that is expected to win, like going into the season, and they've underachieved, like a Milwaukee Bucks, for example, and they're really struggling. But they're, they know ultimately people are still judging them by that standard. Like win a title or this is a failure, something like that can really help a team like that. Lakers aren't in that category. The Lakers are a team, they already won it re- in recent memory. They, they're, they're not a team necessarily that most people peg as like that top three or four true contender. And they've got older guys that have a very difficult time getting up for the regular season. It's just that simple. It's just hard for them night in and night out to replicate whatever that was in the fourth quarter last night, that energy that they derived. And particularly because it was really done by one player. It really was. I mean, he got some help from Hachimura. He got a little bit of help from D'Lo. 
AB yeah, hit a couple shot. of free throws. It was one player that did that. It wasn't like the team, you know, really locked down and then the team started really sharing the ball over the place and a bunch of guys made shots and it's like this team building exercise. No, it was just LeBron rolling back the clock yeah, and being LeBron right. from 10 years ago, right? And so I don't know what where's the sustainability in that going forward even to the next game because for the right. most part, they weren't very good the whole night. Um, so I don't know. I, I think they're a team that this doesn't mean a lot to other than check off a win instead of a loss, and all of those are going to be important here going forward You know, with the play-in and all that stuff that the Lakers have at stake. I think there's no question. All right, let's take a break. Uh, on the other side, there was another game that was interesting. Two two-faced teams. The Pelicans, who are probably the most two-faced team in all the NBA. The Pacers, who have been a two-faced team over the last 25 games or so. And the Pacers get the win, a bounce-back win. So we're going to talk about that one on the other side. Bounce around the other games very briefly before getting into the top five starting lineups in the NBA. But first going to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor. Get into the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. Today is Leap Day. I forgot about that at the top of the hour, but it's Leap Day, and they have a nice little Leap Day parlay if you wanted to make this. It gets you plus 1,224 odds. Giannis over 27.5 points tonight. Lillard over 22 and a half points tonight and the Bucks to win at Charlotte. It feels like Giannis is going to score 30. It feels like Dame's going to score 25 and it feels like the Bucks are going to win. It looks like they maybe have a couple other legs on that bet, but you get plus 1200 odds on that one because of leap day. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ALLNBA. New customers get that no sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 or older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer issued at one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bet expires 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So last night I'm covering the Nuggets game. We did the show a little bit earlier today. So this is a game I actually did not see, but I know you watched very closely. The Pacers picked up a 123-114 win over the Pelicans. What happened in this one, Legs? Well, listen, and you know how I feel about this. A lot was made on the broadcast of the fact that the Pels had a tough travel night. They played the night before. They they did. They had apparently had some travel issues. Didn't get to the uh -huh. hotel till between five and six a.m. That's you know, tough. So up, yeah, it's brutal, man. Brutal. Let me tell you about my day to get here today. Okay, don't tell me about tough. It's <laughs> true. The things I just went through. Okay, I ran over a little kid at the Orlando airport. All right, so don't even, I don't even want to hear about it. All right, so. No, you know how I feel about it, right? It's just, you know, you know what it is, man. We have so much fun with it because it's yeah. it definitely is a thorn in my side. I'm obviously a lot of times I'm, I'm embellishing to make it more, make it funnier yeah. between us. But I do feel like, I don't know how many times it was mentioned during the game, yeah. but it was a significant number of times. Right. Okay. Right. We get it, man. Guys are a little bit tired. Listen, despite that, they gave themselves a chance. They got it to within a pretty workable distance uh, margin in the fourth quarter, and, and they came up a little bit short. Indiana de definitely looked like they had fresh legs. They moved it better. But I think there's a lot of nights when both teams are fresh and Indiana looks that way. 
because that's how they play. And Taliburton right. sets the table for that. So in looking at this game, you know, what it came down to for me was the two best players on the floor, and just in terms of their overall impact, play for the Pacers. And the Pelicans have this big three, and they're three players I, you know, I really like McCollum, um, Zion, and Ingram. And we'll get into them then their individual games and like kind of like where they're at in a second. But Indiana, you know, they got they got two guys on that level, and they were the two best players on the floor. Siakam's energy was great the entire game. He just he just was all over the place. Halliburton, the pace, the decision making, the passing, the throw aheads, like the way he made New Orleans pay the entire game uh, was sensational. So Indiana, you know how much I really like them, man. I just think that they're fun. I think they're hard to play. I do think we we should not dismiss them. Like in the East, I don't think they should be dismissed as like, you know, we only talk about Celtics, Bucks, and, you know, Knicks, Cavs, and that's it. It stops there. And, oh, if Embiid comes back. No, I think Pacers deserve the talk in these conversations. Not going to win a title. It's not what I'm talking about. But, man, oh, man, are they going to have a really interesting run of it in the Eastern Conference playoffs? And like I said yesterday, they've got a chance to get the four seed. They've got a chance to play at home in the first round. It's a legitimate opportunity for them to do that. So, they, they, I like them a lot. They played well, and they made the key plays every time New Orleans like made a little bit of a mini run or got it close. Indiana hit them with an answer, and it was mainly orchestrated by Tyrese Halliburton. So that's my first overall take. The two best players on the court last night both play for Indiana. What do they need to do? So you keep talking about they have a chance to have home court in the first round. I agree with you. They're right there, and nobody has really distanced themselves outside the top couple teams. So what do they need to do, especially given the fact that five of their next six games are on the road? Their lone home game is against the Timberwolves, a tough one. So this is a tough little stretch they're going to go. What, are they, what do you need to see from them? Well, look, it's it's for them. My my uh, measuring stick for them when I watch them is they're, they're uneven defensively. They, they were really bad at the beginning of the year. Then they got a lot better, and now it's sort of up and down. You don't know where you're going to get it. I look at them being as hard as they are to guard because of the pressure they put on you with the pass and with the straight ahead push like their surge up the court make or miss is just different than most teams play with and then you've got a guy that like with his precision will just pick you apart and make the right reads so you got to be really on top of it defensively to play against them so if they just give like an average defensive night of effort or above that they've got a really good chance to compete. So that's what I look for when I watch the Pacers. I just look at, are they, are they doing the extra things? Cause there was a period of time this year after they had been criticized harshly. And then they got into that play in and started getting attention. I really started to pay attention to them on that end of the floor. And there are nights, man, that like they'll help recover hard closeouts, chase guys off the three point line. The second defender then comes over to help force that next kick. And then somebody runs at them and they shoot a contested three. Like they didn't have a lot of defensive possessions like that at the beginning of the year at all. And now there are games or quarters or stretches of games where they don't really. And they sort of just don't make that extra committed secondary effort on a given possession. That's what I look for when I watch them because I pretty much know what their offense is going to look like. They've got some very consistent elements to their offense and consistent contributors. I look at their defensive effort and multiple efforts on the same plays. When I see that early in the game, I know they're a little bit more dialed in. I, I think almost every night I see that, I go, they got a great chance to win that. They're probably going to win the game because they have everything yeah. else on the other end of the floor. The guy I love for them is Ben Shepard. I, I brought this up the last time we yeah. talked about them. I, I did, Again, I didn't see this game, but I saw he played the most minutes of any bench player for them. And there's a couple different types of bench players. He is the type that I think is a six-starter type, meaning 
I like him most when he's surrounded by Halliburton, when he's surrounded by the other players, so his job becomes a little bit more 3 and D oriented. But I just see last night he plays 27 minutes, it makes an impact, makes some shots, uh, and then the steals blocks. You know, he gets three stocks in the game. So he's a guy to me when I look at them that <laughs> it's weird to say a rookie is an important piece for them when you get to the playoffs because who knows how much you can count on a rookie? Who knows? Even with 20 games left or 24, whatever it is, who knows what he can do to really give you confidence of how he'll react in a playoffs. But he is the archetype of a player that I think they need so much. And when he plays well, I feel like they win. So Ben Shepard is the guy for me. I don't know if anything he did last night stood out to you. I'm only looking at the box score here. Well, I know the game before that he hit five threes, I believe, which was a season high. So coming in, he's feeling good about himself. He checked into the game. And within, I was, I'm going to say within 90 seconds, two minutes, maybe, he'd already hit two threes. Like first two good half-decent looks he got. And I think they're both set up by T.J. McConnell who plays really well with him. Like TJ McConnell, you can tell has good, has good sync with, with Shepard. And he had his third three shortly. So he had three threes in, I'd say four or five minutes of playing time when he first got on the floor. So he just carried over previous game right into this one. And I know how that feels coming off the bench when you're in one of those mindsets, man, like you can't wait to check into the game because you just feel it and you can't wait to get, you hope your first shot's half clean. So you can get off something to watch it go in because you know you're going to have another good game. It's just it's just the way it is with rhythm and shooters. He definitely looks that way. Uh, you know, Matherin is is a guy that I thought in this game he was like not very good in the first half, but he played really well for them in the second half when they had to have it. And, and Halliburton was getting a blow, and Matherin got into this rhythm. He had back to back threes. He had a pull up. He had a drive all in a short period of time. Like his confidence level and what he can do. Uh, to take over and to be a little bit more aggressive as an initiator and not just play off of Halliburton Siakam is right. so critical to their success. He's so young. I loved him coming out. I still continue yeah. to love him. I thought he should have been untouchable at the trading deadline. His name came up. Turns out he was untouchable for a reason. They made the decision it was going to be Buddy Heald that went because it can replace that easier than what Matherin potentially could turn into. Saw some of that last night in the second half. He didn't have a great shooting night, 6 for 17, but he had a very important stretch where he was the guy, and he and he milked that and rode that an important time in the game when when uh, New Orleans was still trying to make a run. Let's bounce around the league very quickly here. The Nuggets, the game I was locked into last night, the Nuggets pick up their first win of the season against the Kings, 117-96. There was no De'Aaron Fox in this game. Here's my one note on this game, though. They The Nuggets, actually two notes. One, they give up 35 points in the first quarter, but still hold the Kings under 100 for the game. They locked up after, the, after a, a, a slow start, maybe a little letdown effect because De'Aaron Fox was a late scratch. Maybe there's a little letdown effect, but they defended very well in quarters two, three, and four. But more importantly, Jamal Murray last night was 13 of 15. Legs, the Nuggets have an all, a second all-star 50% of the time. 50% of the time they have a second all-star in Jamal Murray. And in the playoffs, that becomes more like 80% of the time. That's the difference. When he is, when he is an all-star caliber player, the Nuggets are the best team in the NBA. If you knew you got this Murray, not 13 of 15, but just the guy that can get to his spots and execute and hit shot, hit tough shots. If you knew you had that guy, you know, six out of seven games in a series, you would probably pick the Nuggets to win the championship as, you know, with very little hesitation. Last night they got it and it was a blowout win. I completely agree. And it's almost not fair to Jokic to say, like, as Murray goes, the Nuggets go. But that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. When he plays, and I didn't see I for that game, I pretty right. much predominantly saw um highlights. So I didn't I didn't see how he was getting it other than in some of the highlights. But when he's operating in that place where he's 
like so aggressive and he's just you, you can just tell his confidence just oozes when he gets going like that there's not really an answer for this team at all because right. of the amount of attention you are already directing at Jokic and trying to figure out all of that action, his post-ups, his dribble handoffs, his, you know, his floaters, like everything, any he's passing, every every way he's trying to hurt you. And then you got this guy operating like that, that's that confident, that's just dominating any matchup he gets, whether it's two-man game or I, I saw last night, you know, he went down into the post a little bit where he's so good. He can shoot that turnaround jumper over oh, pretty he's much any guard. It's crazy when he's hitting I think that he's shot. The number one, I think he's the number one post-up scorer from the guard spot. I honestly believe that. His post game, he's it's tall, unreal. he's big, and his his footwork is unbelievable. And he's got a natural, a pretty exaggerated lean back when yeah. he when he gets into that stuff in the post, when he's back to the basket, and then he, he'll hit him with a shake, and he'll step one direction or the other. His footwork is so good, so he's on balance coming out of the spin. And even when you play it right, he then leans back and separates from you by a couple of feet to get the shot off. And it's it's not even like to him, it's even contested. Um, he, he can do it even against guys his size or even a little bit bigger because he gets them off balance because you don't know which way he's going to spin because his footwork is so good. When he's when he's like that, you're 100% right. That's the best team in the NBA. And, and, and that's a team that you look at and say, man, I don't know how they're, how you're going to keep this team from repeating if Jamal Murray brings that every night. Now, look, to your point, though, you say 50% of the time. Is it really – would you say 50% if you broke down the percentage in the regular season that you see that Jamal Murray? Or is it, or is it higher than that? I would say lower, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, I would say lower for Jamal. I mean, right. for what, about, what about in the playoffs? What percentage I mean, are those games 80, every night? 80%, 80, 90%. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's it's super high. And that's, look, it seems by design, right? I mean, he seems to have a control over this because it it's not one season of sample size. It's, it's three now and three playoff runs where he's brought it every single time. So you tip your hat to him. But I feel like, and there was, I don't know if you've seen this story, Legs, but allegedly... Jokic immediately following the all-star game sent a text message to the group chat with the with the Denver Nuggets and you know he's one of those guys that doesn't speak up much so when he does speak up you know it fires everybody else and KCP is the one that told the story of hey the team got a message from Jokic and everybody locked in right then was like okay it's go time and you look at the Nuggets 4-0 out of the break all blowout wins two of those against good teams you know last night Sacramento and before that the Warriors both blowout wins and meanwhile, Jokic, four straight triple-doubles. So I think that I, I love stories like this. The the quiet leader sends a loud message at the right time and all of a sudden backs it up with, with some really great play, and the Nuggets look like they have, uh, they're, they're ready to hit that switch. A couple other games here. Mavericks bounce back. They were on a little two-game skid. They beat the Raptors in Toronto. Tough place to get a win. 30-11-16 for Luka. You, uh, you've been very high on the Mavs. You called them out the other day saying it's time to get a win, and then they get a heartbreaker against Cleveland. You saw that game. Max Struess, 70-foot three-pointer to win the game. What a, what a killer. Uh, but they bounce back from that with a tough road from Cleveland to Toronto, back-to-back, -back, and they get a win. I'm impressed. Even if I didn't see this game, I'm impressed by the outcome. Yeah, and Toronto just smacked Indiana. So it, it is yep. it is a tough place to go get get a, get a win. And a guy hits a pull-up 60-footer at the buzzer, you know, to beat you. It, it, that's a little bit of a, of a, you know, emotional reaction to that that's kind of hard to forget. I mean, I, I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if guys were, like, popping up at 3 o'clock in the morning with PTSD <laughs> when a guy right. does that to you because that's just literally a game was just flat out taken from you with an yep. absurdity, right? So yep. – but they come back and they they do what you know. Look, you know I'm high on them, and yeah. I, I continue. 
I continued to like just scrutinize Luca every night. And we talked a little bit about this uh, on Tuesday. He's in good shape. He's definitely more of a leader. He's laying it on the line a little bit more defensively. I'm not as distracted by the antics and the, he's still probably mockingly smirks a little bit too much for my liking, but that's fine. That's just kind of who he is. That's the cockiness and the arrogance that he plays with in the swagger. Um, I like them a lot, man. I, you know, I, I do think though it could be important for them to you know, position themselves if they can, like climb a few more rungs in that ladder, then make it, you know, yeah. and matchup's going to be important for them. But I just look at them, Adam, and I, I just say that guy, and we saw this, you know, when he took that team to the conference finals, right? That guy in a seven game series, man, he has proven it. Like you're not going to affect him. He is going to be in control of the series. So the question is going to be, you know, does Kyrie play at that super high level? Do do those three point role plays, uh, role players make shots in those moments? But it's not going to be because of Luca. That dude's going to show up when the lights are bright. And if you shrink a series in possession by possession, and that is the guy you have to deal with, that's why I think you know the Mavs are legitimate. I think they're very dangerous. Yeah. The other game was Cavs. Again, didn't watch this one, but they fall in overtime to the lowly Bulls. Uh, 132 to 123. My only note on this one is Cleveland has had a prime opportunity to kind of solidify the right? while Milwaukee was figuring it out, new coach and all this stuff, and they were surging. You come out of a break, and the break really seems to have affected them. They're two and three since then. One of those wins is over Washington, the other one over Dallas. But I just look at this one and go, the Chicago game, you got to get that one. You just got to pick it up, keep a two-game cushion on Milwaukee and force them to sprint down the, the end. And now Milwaukee seems to be figuring it out, and now they're within striking distance. So I just – this late in the season, every loss you don't anticipate matters extra. That was a game I thought Cleveland should have won. So losing to Chicago, uh, I just feel like it's costly. There is no doubt. And look, not to mention the fact they had a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter. You got a 12 point lead and you're the Cavs with with you know where they're positioned and how much we, you know we both like them. You got to win that game and you don't get beat by Vucevic who they didn't have an answer for, who was killing them to get them back in and you know DeRozan you know is always going to be tough. And and then he came alive and he he was like the difference maker in the second overtime basically win the game. Drummond was really important in this game. So you get beat by a couple of bigs, you know, and then DeRozan like Vucevic and Drummond, right. their impact of the game was just tremendous against, you know, front line with Allen and Mobley. And those guys had the bigger moments that they had to have in the fourth quarter and then in, in overtimes to get that win. So I agree with you. That that's it's it's one thing if they lose the game and you have no idea how the game was played. I did watch a good majority of this game. It that's one thing, because it happens. And you, you know, these guys are pros too. And you know, you're gonna lose games like that. But when you have a 12 point lead in the fourth quarter. And you're a team on that level. You don't really typically lose those games. Those games, they they shrink down, and now it just it's it's more meaningful to you. You execute better, and you get the shots you want and the stops you want. That you have to have. They didn't do either of those things. And Chicago, you know, give them credit. They kept fighting, man, and they were into it, and they got the win. All right, let's move on now and talk some lineups here. We're getting closer to the playoffs. Playoffs become a lot more about your top five guys. Obviously, they become about your top eight guys. That's who plays. But your top five guys are going to be your biggest punch. And I asked you to look through the league and give me your list. Let's start at the top of this list. There's a lot of ways you could go at number one. But if you had to 
bet your life on one starting five lineup or one closing five. Starting five, closing live. I'm going to use those interchangeably. I just mean your best five-man lineup. Who are you going with? Can I give you a convoluted answer? <laughs> I knew it was coming, so yes. <laughs> Let me give you a convoluted answer because I've been, I've been saying Boston Celtics have the best starting five in basketball. That doesn't mean that if you ask me to put money right now in Vegas, tie game two minutes to go between them and Denver, that I'm not going to pick Denver. Because the one thing I feel about Denver is in those situations, they are not only going to ensure themselves of a quality possession more often than any other team in the league and get a quality look, they're also going to communicate defensively on you know what they have to execute better than anybody else. I think one through five, Boston has more versatility. They've got five players that are super impactful on both ends of the court. And, and there's not a weakness defensively amongst the five. That nobody in the league can say that. Nobody. And and look, you know, in addition to that, you've got, you know, your top three guys all averaging over 20. It's the third time in the history of that franchise that's ever happened. So you've got three guys averaging 20 plus, and then you've got Derek White, who always has his fingerprints on every big run that they have, it seems like. And then you got Holiday, who only only does really offensively what he needs to in a given night, but we know what he's capable of um, if he has to do that. So I think that is the most versatile starting five you could have. And they could they just check every box. But in terms of late game execution, I think I'd still roll with Denver. So that's kind of my answer to the question. Man, I don't know if you think that's a bailout or a cop out, but that's that's the best way I can answer it. I think it's a cop out. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think I mean look, I think a I think most smart analysts are going to give you that answer. This idea of like Boston seems better, Denver maybe seems greater, and then you get into that distinction. And and I think what you're hinting at here is the Celtics, if you give them a thousand possessions, and we have a thousand possessions of data, the, the Celtics are incredible at that starting five because of all the possibilities. When push comes to shove and in the playoffs, this isn't just the last five minutes. It's oftentimes you know, 20 minutes spread out between the first, second, third, and fourth quarter where those guys are on the court together and these minutes matter. The Celtics have a great defense and they have a great flow offense that finds the ball into the right spot. But in the very end of games, you want to have an action that you go to. And I think the Celtics almost go away from what makes that five-man lineup great. Inevitably, you're going to try to not turn the ball over late, so you're going to simplify your offense late. And you almost go away from what makes the five-man lineup great. Denver, you don't. What makes that five-man lineup great is the two-man game and the three guys playing off of them. And so for me, I think that is what you're talking about when you say you trust them more in the clutch. It's because they can go to their low mistake, zero turnover offense, but it's a two-man game. And it's a two-man game that opens up everything else, whereas the Celtics are going to go a little bit more to isolation. They're going to slow it down. And you're going to lose some of the Derek White slashing, some of the, you know, some, some of the other stuff you get when you're just playing flow basketball. To me, that's how I would define it. And it's why, for me, I feel confident. Look, I'm a homer. Everybody knows this. I'm covering the Nuggets. I'm watching them every night. It's why, for me, this question is easier than I think for most, that I would put Denver number one, Boston number well, two. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this. I don't, you know, yeah, people could label you a homer because you cover the team, but, I mean, you're not, nothing you're saying is disingenuous. Right, right. You've got, you got homers, and then you got homers that, like, literally right. are gaslighting you every single right. day that you're, that you're, you know, that you're seeing something that you're not seeing. 
um, right. that's not the case with you. So I'm not going to, I'm not even going to beat you up for that. I call you out. If you ever go down that road though, if you start, do, gaslighting me, if you start gaslighting me about anything related to the nuggets, I'm going to call you out on, but everything you're saying is true. I'm going to say this though. I will say this. I called the game on ESPN radio last week. Boston was in the garden to play yep. the Knicks and the Knicks are banged up, but that's not the point. What they did in that third quarter was about as devastating offensively uh, as a team could play. They had nine threes in the quarter, and it wasn't just that they hit nine threes. It was the way that they got them. It was an initial breakdown of somebody, whether it was two-man action or just a straight ISO, into the paint, one foot in the paint, kick, swing, another penetration, kick, swing, opposite corner. It was just absolutely a thing of beauty. And you realize, look, they take, in my opinion, probably too many threes. They shoot more than any team in the league. I think they I think they make themselves easier to guard some nights when they take those really quick ones from anybody. That's not what this was. This was and and a team was packed, you know, the Knicks roll to the ball as fast as anybody in the league. They they're just so determined to protect the paint and they just man did they pick them apart. And it was like Keystone Cops trying to catch up to the ball and it was everybody on the court hit at least one. And you yeah. watch something like that, Adam, and you're like, my goodness, if they play like that, what are you supposed to do with this yeah. team? But they're the they're the two, man. We kind of covered both teams, but I think I don't think there's any person that could get asked this question and come up with anybody yeah. else in your top two besides yeah. Denver and Boston. I think we all can agree on that. What, what percentage of our audience do you think uh, catches the reference Keystone Cops legs? Uh, probably very few, very, very few. There'll, there'll be a couple. There'll be a couple in there. Yeah, there'll be a couple. What, what, would be, what would be a more, I guess, a more current or modern analogy to that? You know, I don't know, but I, I will say. Are just like basically inept. It's just yeah, inept. Yeah, like, Fumbling Running over around each other, chasing yeah. each other while the criminals like running around, popping up from yeah. the alleys, laughing at them while the cops are trying to find out where the bad guy went. That's what I've, Keystone cops are, basically inept. Yeah. Uh, you and Michael Malone are the only two people I've ever heard make that reference. It's where I learned about him. So I'm, I'm locked in with you there. Let's, uh, what's more interesting now. So we have one and two, I feel like is fun to order. We could split hairs. It's fun conversation, but I mean, they're both so great. Who's three. This is where it gets really tough. Yeah, this gets really, this gets really difficult. I got some nominees. Um, and, and you know what, we can just have some fun with it. Um, and maybe pick one. I, I think Cleveland's in that category for me, Dallas, I think Dallas is in that category now. Um, and 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 when you talk about starting the game, ending the game, whatever, to me it's kind of the same thing, but maybe not necessarily because some teams might have a sixth guy that, mm. depending on the circumstance, might be more important right at that stage of the game, whether you need stops or you need shots. It might be a different guy depending on the rotation. But if you give me the Dallas Mavericks late game and you got Luka, Kyrie, Lively, Derek Jones, and a shooter – like Tim Hardaway spacing the floor. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with that. Now, you know, Kyrie and Luca aren't great defensively, but that's where Derek Jones and Lively come in, right? Derek Jones can guard just about anybody in the league, and then you can funnel them to a an athletic shot blocker and a guy who moves his feet really well on the perimeter if he gets beat too on a, on a ball screen switch in Lively. And by the way, you could also swap Lively out, put Gafford in there. You don't you don't miss much if that's what you're going to do. Uh, or you could put PJ Washington on the floor instead yep. of like, yep. you know, instead of like uh, Hardaway. Depends what you need, but Luca in particular in those situations, man, and, and like you just feel like he's going to get something really good 
either for himself or for somebody else. So I'm kind of feeling that way about Dallas. There might be some teams you would put ahead of them, but I just yeah. kind of wanted to talk about them first. There, it's interesting because when I talk to my Dallas people, you know, they give different answers for what that lineup is. Um, you know, that that's why it's so interesting to think because I think you're right that the, there are the pieces of it and they're interchangeable and they make a great closing lineup. But the who that is is probably still a little TBD. I like Washington. I like Derek Jones Jr. too, but I think I might like Washington by the end of the year. I might like him a little bit more. That'll be interesting. I Milwaukee statistically is an interesting one because they have played 527 minutes, one of the most of any team in the NBA, and they have a plus 15 net rating, which is elite. We know they've had their struggles this year, but when you get Giannis, Middleton, Lillard, Brooke Lopez, and Malik Beasley around them, when you get that lineup out there, they've actually crushed this year on pretty high volume. So they're not a team that I think at the moment we're thinking about as a great five-man lineup, but statistically it's been true. Well, the only problem is I got I to gotta use your own words against you. Now, you're on the record as saying you don't buy into a defensive backcourt with Lillard and Beasley. I've said so that, you said That's that so multiple true. times. So I'm not sure. That, and, and, and like, look, I, I, I trust the genius of Adam Marez. You've influenced me <laughs> oh, no. about some of these things. So yeah. that kind that kind of played into it when I thought about the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks. No, it's true. I actually, that's actually how I feel. I'm throwing them out there because statistically, you yeah, know, the I Nuggets mean, are number one and then number two. But I am with you in a playoffs. Throw out these statistics. It doesn't mean how much you beat, you know. Washington by or whatever it's how do you do against these good teams and to me Malik Beasley just has to make a lot of shots to make up for that defense all right I got let me let me throw one out there now that I think definitely has to get into this discussion sooner rather than later let's talk about the Thunder all right and, yeah. and we have raved about first of all the continuity with their starters it's been five guys all year I mean you've got literally you've got one other game started by Kenrick Williams like the, mm. the, and what I'm looking at you got 57 by Shea, 52 Jalen Williams, 58 Chet, 57 Giddy, 56 Dort. It's Man. the same five guys every night. And much like the Kings last year, that's exactly what their starters look like in terms of games played at this time of the year. And guess what? They were a three seed. And they took advantage of other teams missing guys. So there's a lot to be said. If you just show up every night and you've got you know a good roster, this is what the kind of thing you can do right. because you develop this kind of continuity, right? Yep. They deserve to be in there, particularly with, you know, we look, we know what Shea is. It goes without saying. Jalen Williams to me is is like his growth as a go-to offensive player puts them in this category because if they he wasn't on that level offensively, I don't think they would be in this discussion. You can't just have one guy that is primarily, you know, gonna win any matchup that's in front of him. You've got to have two of those to be in this conversation. And he gives them that second one. And then of course you've got Chet who doesn't take bad shots. He's a great help defender. He is much better off the dribble. I think that people maybe thought he could be this early in his career. Unbelievably unflappable and consistent. Um, so that's what you got at the top. And then, you know, Gideon Dort, don't love that, the end of that top five as yeah. much maybe as some of these other teams. Just But listen, you just no denying, Adam, they fit. They're totally in sync with each other. And when you watch them, you could make an argument that that five, those five play as well together as any five guys in the league, maybe outside of Denver. The team. So actually one point on Oklahoma city, they always, almost always close with giddy. And I, I agree with you about the Dort giddy part. When you get to the playoffs, teams start to find the pressure points and, and force you into uncomfortable spots. 
A few times this year, they have closed with Isaiah Joe. Not very often, but a little Real bit. Quick, I, don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I just want to make sure I made a mistake. I I, I was going through the numbers. I just missed one. So Case and Wallace has started nine games. Oh, I was like, go. where okay. the numbers weren't adding up to me, like somebody else. And then it was Case and Wallace is. has started nine games as well. I like him a lot, but but yeah. your point remains still about the continuity they've had. That's a lot of continuity, even with that. But to me, I think in a playoffs, that pressure point about whether or not to close with Giddy is going to be a lot bigger than what it has been to this to the in the regular season. In the regular season, you can survive that. Teams aren't making major adjustments to force you into weak spots. I think in postseasons, they're going to have to find a different fifth player. And Isaiah Joe gives you the spacing that you need. You're going to be yeah. awesome on offense there. Defensively, you're compromised a lot more. Uh, you know, if you go to a defensive option, you know, there, you're going to be a little more compromised on offense. So to me, that's that's one of the things when I look at these things, why people why people get mad. Why aren't you buying Oklahoma City more? They've proven it. Yes, they have. But playoffs, I just see some things where I think, okay, that's an exploitable weakness that they're going to have to overcome. And we'll see it. The last one for you, you didn't mention the Clippers. And maybe that was by design. Maybe they were next Minnesota on your list. either, by the way. Minnesota, you're right. Defensively, what they can do. Um, but to me, the Clippers are the one that, when you look at on paper, okay, the big three are the big three. Zubats, we've talked about how much he's a perfect player. Low maintenance, he just does his job. And then you put man. Usually it's man there. You could say Powell, man. I think it's usually going to be man. That's a heck of a five-man lineup on paper. So why is it not in your top three? I think because of what we talked about at the beginning of this show with, with and yeah. the game last night was symptomatic of that. I yeah, don't I think they've right. clearly established how they're going to play when the game is on the line and what's the most efficient way to do that. You know, we know that hey, Kawhi Leonard's going to get the ball, but when does he get it in the clock? Where is he getting it? How yeah. much, how much has already been dribbled before he got the ball? How much action was run? Cause Harden's got it a lot. They've got, to, they've got to be a little bit more streamlined in that situation, and, and the ball needs to be in Kawhi Leonard's hands earlier. And if that's the case, where does Harden really fit in in that situation? So they've got to work that out, and that's probably the main reason for me that I wouldn't put him there yet. I don't think they're a, I don't think they're a finished product yet with how they're going to have to play in late-game situations offensively. Um, all right, that does it for today. Minnesota, Cleveland, there's so many good starting fives in the NBA, actually. When I was doing this, you know, as we were preparing for the show and I was going through it, there's a lot of different teams you could throw out there. Philadelphia statistically had the best five-man lineup when everybody was healthy, but that's a low sample size. We didn't get to see it through and we probably won't see it again. So it's interesting to look at. That's why the playoffs are going to be great. There's a lot of teams that have five five-man lineups. Legs, any parting thoughts on Leap Day here before we head to March? My, yeah, my parting thought is for Guzman Chris, who called us a couple <laughs> of dumbasses uh, for our Thunder takes. And Thunder that that we and said that we hate the thunder and this is yeah. specifically for him dude chill chill <laughs> chill you're you, you're a thunder fan you yeah, think yeah. they're gonna win every game you yeah. think they're gonna win at the title this year and every year going forward that's the way thunder fans think that's great man brings we bring a little reality to the situation we don't hate the thunder we give the Thunder so much craze, praise and credit, man. I haven't said anything really negative about the Thunder all year. So relax. There's they're other they're like a yeah. the Thunder winning a game, all right, man? We're just being honest. I had to go at him, man. I don't, I don't like <laughs> somebody puts dumbass in the same sentence as my name and your name. I got a problem with that. <laughs> I don't mind it. You know, fans are so passionate. They want to let it out. I will say this. We might be talking Thunder tomorrow because we get another Wemby Chet matchup tonight, Legs. Those are always fun. We got Heat Nuggets on the docket. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Warriors-Knicks should be a good game. So 
We have some good games on the slate for tonight, heading us into a Friday home stretch. Been fun. February yeah, finish, up, finish up the week strong, man. Steph in uh, Madison Square Garden could always be fun, so I'll be looking at that. Looking forward to that one. Everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Even the Grouchy Thunder fan, thanks for joining us. Hit that like button for us on the way out. We'll see you tomorrow. We all city like the mayor. 